Welcome to the Monkey Business Show from cash flow to crypto, all the things you need to know to invest in the market. I'm Aaron Hodges, joined always by Richie Bennett and Eric Salzman, the Wall Street Titans of yesteryear and present. <laughs> he gave you the reverse peace sign. <laughs> I'm not trying to paint you guys as dinosaurs, but you've been in the game a long time and that definitely lends itself to some credibility. You've proven yourself through all the picks. If people have just followed our picks, you would know that we're dealing with some next level Wall Street geniuses here. <laughs> you look very uncomfortable with this praise, Richie. Well, I'm, I'm a modest man. <laughs> modest means. Modest means. Big swingers like him are in trouble, right? Because his uh, Joe Biden come out was it? Yeah, he came out yesterday with uh, his ca- very. I mean, he really. I think he shocked a few people with his with his capital gains uh, tax that he is looking to take that up to basically be ordinary income. I mean, mm-hmm. right before that, you would pay on long term capital gains, you'd pay twenty percent, right? And because the the wealthiest, that's where they make most of their their money on interest investment income. So. A lot of a lot of Democrats run on that platform when they when they're running for the presidency, but then they tend to back off when they either because they can't get it done or they they tend to back off. And I think people were surprised with Biden because you know he he still gets a, a knock from all the progressives that he's not really you know he's he's a Democrat, but he's more like a he's a centrist, and they hate centrists. They they'd rather have a Republican than a centrist. And then he came. I, I think a lot of people were surprised, and certainly the market was surprised. So he's looking at. I think the, ta- the top tax rate, on top of it, there's a subsidy for Obamacare that they pay. Um, so I think when you add that in, it's like 39.6 plus some to get you to 43%, which is, mm-hmm. you know, that's, so it's more than doubling the um, capital gains tax on the richest, like 0.3% or something like that. More than so, double is a lot. So what is it currently sitting at right now, the capital gains 20. tax? 20. 20. It's been there forever. If you have a profit in your stock position, whatever, bond position, anything financial related, and you sell it after a year of holding it, you would pay 20% on your gains. Uh, Now they want to bump it, as Eric said, to 39.6 plus. So it's more like ordinary income tax rates, which many would argue, you know, it is, it should be this and that. But if you go back to capitalism, which a lot of people don't like these days, but if you go back to that, if you have a bunch of rich folks investing, the whole idea is, all right, they're investing, but it's contributing to maybe research and development, further innovation in a lot of these companies. Uh, Some would argue, no, it's just a big speculation. They're just putting money in because they have it. They got a tip from their friend and they just generate a bunch of profits and then pay a lot less of a tax rate than you would if you were earning that money working a job. And well, that's like when Warren Buffett came out and said that he his his tax rate, not his tax bill, but his tax rate is lower than his secretary's. The, the Oracle of Omaha likes to say things like that because he wants to show that he's he's with the regular people, right? And uh, but it's almost like like he's able to say that. And I'm not I'm not a big fan, but when Trump came out and said the same thing about taxes, and he said, "Look, I'm smart. Like I don't pay a lot of taxes because I'm smart and I know the tax system." Everybody hated Trump for well, half the country hated Trump for saying that. Well. Buffett came out and said the same thing. He came out and said, hey, this is unfair. I pay, you know, a lower tax rate than my secretary. It's like, all right, guy, well, then why don't you pay more taxes? You can always, write a check. Yeah. You can always write a check anytime. Yeah. Uncle Sam is happy. Take your check. But that's that, that, That's where the, the genesis of that comment comes from what Richie's talking about, that when you're extremely wealthy, most of your income is really coming from capital gains and investment income, like interest income, dividends, which we'll talk about. Whereas if you're wor- if you're a working guy, like that's you know you're, you're, most of your money is coming from ordinary income, um, and that's that's the income that you get that you are taxed on from your job. Well, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess you could argue that if the majority of your income is from stocks and bonds and all that stuff, then it is your job, right? So why wouldn't it be taxed at the same rate? I guess that's a discussion for another day and more political. But how are people reacting to 
this proposal? Market was off like the S&P was off about 1% yesterday. Like, granted, people, I mean, the S&P has been all over the place this week. We've been up and down 1%, like, I think three out of the three out of the five days. We're up over 1% today. We were down almost 1% yesterday. We're up almost 1% the day before. So a lot of volatility. I think part of it is also that, that we are seeing now outside of the U.S., COVID is really, really ramping up again. People looking at India and just, you know, looking at and all of a sudden the, the travel bans are back on where you can go. So that's hitting, you know, the airlines. And that's, you know, like they need another hit, but they're getting hit. So it's been kind of all over the place. But today we've rebounded from any, whatever anybody felt bad about yesterday. We're back today you know, up over 1%. Richie, are you taking your money out now? No, no, I'm not taking it out. I'm, I'm just... I'm just wary of what's going on. I, I just, you know, you, you got a lot of good news built in to the world. Any kind of variation off that could cause a big bump. I think we got a little taste of that yesterday. Like, you know, the earnings, the quarterly earnings, everybody was like concerned about with these companies, the S&P 500 companies, whatever. Those have been great. You know, they're mostly, you know, a low bar because what they're saying is, you know, our first quarter earnings versus last year's first quarter earnings are great. But they had half their business shut down or all their business shut down for a bit of the first quarter of last year. So that's not such a wonderful thing necessarily. We'll see what goes on forward. But, yeah, I think there's there, there's definitely, like, some, like, it's almost like uh, you're trying to take a truck across the river, and the river is frozen, but it's, like, 38 degrees. So, like, don't go to the spot where there's a puddle, like, like because that thing might drop. And, you know... It won't take much for the market to just not disintegrate, but like kind of like have a big correction. And uh, I feel like we're close to that only because there's no I'm looking for like the good news story that's going to happen as we talk about all the time here. What what the market does is it predicts six to nine months from now. Right. So the market, if you think about it, right, last March uh, when the lows were coming on in the S&P, stock market was done, coronavirus, everything's going to be shut down. It didn't take long, right? It took like a month for things to just kind of like turn around while everything was still shut, right? So somebody somewhere was saying, hey, man, in like six to nine months, we think this thing is going to be okay. And that's what happened in the markets. Was it okay? Yeah, yeah, I guess. I guess. Yeah. Like, it, you know, things got better. But are we now sitting here today saying in October to December, things are going to be great again? I don't know. Well, everything kind of tells us that, I mean – like you're saying, it, it and it's priced in, right? It should be great. And now the banks came out with their earnings uh, last week, right? And it was last week they, the major banks came out. They had blockbuster profits, um, you know, obviously a hell of a lot better than last March. But a lot of their income was, well, you, you, when you have the really big banks, like the JPs and the cities and um, and uh, Bank of America, because they have all these trading and investment, bank oper- investment banking operations, they made a ton of money. In trading, they made a ton of money underwriting debt, underwriting equities, doing all kinds of Wall Street kind of structuring stuff. Whereas, you know, other banks, maybe big banks, but they don't really do that. But what really drove the banks is that they had reserved so much money last year for losses. When you think you're going to have losses, like especially in your consumer lending book, your commercial real estate book, you, you build reserves. You're not supposed to sit there. If you think losses are coming, you don't just take them when they come. You reserve against them, so then you have something to offset that. So you, you're basically taking the losses now on your balance sheet, and when that thing hits, if you guessed it right, you've already kind of accounted for it. Now you just release those reserves into the loss. Well, 
all of a sudden, I don't think anybody was preparing that there was going to be a vaccine coming out at the end of 2020 or we'd be where we are now. So what happened was all the big banks, like JP led the charge, were just they, they reversed they reversed back billions of dollars of reserves that they had taken against losses that are now not really happening. So you've got that. So that, that that's giving you their view of what's happening in the economy. They're not going to lose anywhere near. There's not going to be delinquencies and defaults anywhere near like they had projected. So that, that's huge. And that's why people always look to banks. It's kind of that bellwether because they want to see what because that's what they're thinking. They're thinking about, you know, six months out, one year out type stuff. But uh, like Richie says, and this is why I've been worried on the show the last two or three weeks, is just that every, everything is priced for perfection. That's what we call it, priced for perfection. There's no real discount in there that something could go wrong. And let's face it, this is, this is precarious times and, and something could go wrong and it could, you know, it, it could, it could hit you pretty fast. So, you know, if you're up, <laughs> you're already up 20, 30% this year, you know, you, you might want to get a little defensive, take some chips off the table. I just, again, it's, it's like a spidey sense, if you will. I just feel like there's something out there when you don't see it, you can't see it. And that's the, that's what you got to worry about. Yeah. It does feel like uh, you've been alluding to, Almost like Stranger Things, the uh, the other side or whatever that was called, <laughs> like it's it's looming and it's coming. We can't really see what it is, but there's a sense of impending doom that I, <laughs> that I'm feeling from you guys very heavily here. So, I mean, what are some of the some of the warning signs that you're seeing? Uh, I think inflation. You know, we keep yeah. talking about it, but like, check your check going to get gas. You know, over the last couple of weeks, how's that going? Like, it's up, right? It's the price is higher. Check buying uh, groceries. You know, you, you're paying more. It's just it's just happening. Like, the, I understand they come out every week or at least every month with a, you know, forecast or a past direction of where inflation has been or where it's going. And, uh, you know, people are paying more for everything. You know, every commodity. I mean, they say that you know the housing, the new home price housing average is about three hundred forty-six thousand dollars. Right, that's a lot of money. That thing hit like two ten or less in oh seven oh six. Right, the average price of a home. They say that, like you know, of that. 346,000, you know, 40,000, 40,000 is due to like higher costs of lumber, higher costs of materials. You know, it just, it, it has nothing to do with demand of people trying to buy the house. 40,000 of that is more like it just costs more. Things just cost more. If that continues to happen, the Fed has two choices. Well, three. One is to ignore it and just be like, okay, we're good. Two is to stop it, which means they're going to raise rates. And three is like a combination of like, nah, we're good. We're not going to raise rates, but we might. The last two, like the first one, ignoring it, that'll just lead to tears at some point. Like it'll just end badly. The second two immediately, pretty much immediately, will hit the markets. Badly. Yeah. I mean, if they say it, we're thinking about it, they might as well do it, right? Because that that the market. But yeah, I, and I think you're right. Like that's the one thing that we could kind of see, and people have been writing about it. Now, granted, a lot of what we're seeing is what we talked about a few weeks ago, where you know the when the economy comes to a standstill, things stop literally. Like I mean, think about we talked about this oil. So when the oil market crashes, and as it did back you know, last year and as it's done before, what happens is a lot of guys take, get, get, get killed, um, a lot of the producers. They, they stop producing. They stop looking for the exploration stops. Um, a lot of guys, you know, guys go bankrupt. The guys have to, they have to cap wells. So all of a sudden, if the economy picks up again and picks up faster than people thought, all of a sudden the demand for that product, that oil, oil and all the petroleum products start picking up. And suddenly we went from swimming in oil. It was too, it was too much. If you remember, it was, it was this time last year. In fact, I think it was April 20th. So we're almost the one year, a little after the one year anniversary, 
where a barrel of West Texas Intermediate crude for May delivery went to minus forty dollars in, in 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 one day, a negative price. You paid somebody to take the oil from you, and now you know oil's up about sixty bucks. It's a good so, business if you could get in, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, but that that that's a lot of what's going on. We have we have kind of we have supply bottlenecks all throughout the economy. Um, a lot of what's going on also is that. Um, the ports, like the the port of Oakland, the port out in, in Southern California, the port of Los Angeles, is just backed up. There's just you know, sh- there's just not enough movement there. So we've got a lot of the infrastructure is kind of like clogged up right now, and that's what the Fed is looking. at. The Fed is thinking, well, look, this not, we're not going to react to a couple of quarters that Richie's talking about because a lot of that's just the economy getting restarted again from dead to right. going again. Mm-hmm. But if they're wrong, then there is a problem, right? Because and guys are starting to write articles about and reminding us of just how bad inflation was in the 70s. And I, I forgot about it, too. But, it, I mean, they were talking about, you know, prices of the, the grocery store going up, you know, tr- tremendously. Everything that, that, that people needed to buy was going up and going up way faster than their paychecks. And, you know, it, it was a very it was a very troubling time that really most of the majority of Americans in the country now don't remember or weren't even born when this happened. It's been that long. I can give you a quick little anecdote about something that happened to me this week. My wife and I are thinking about buying a motorcycle. Not like a hardcore motorcycle, like a step above a scooter. <laughs> Apparently, this is like a unicorn of a, of a motorcycle. But we go to the dealership, and they don't have this bike on the floor. <clears throat> so we go, hey, we're interested in, in, in this motorcycle. What's the deal? And they say, oh, well, you know, everything's backed up right now. And we have three of these on order, but they're not going to be here for about six months. You could put it down a deposit, but I don't even want to take your money right now because it's going to be a long time before this bike gets here. They said even the stuff from the the Suez Canal being backed up because that's got to come from Japan over to the United States. So... They were so backed up and they can't keep up with the supply. Like apparently people are really wanting to buy motorcycles, but they just can't even get it here. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I had an experience with the housing market this week. Um, ask me about my ask me about my house. What about your house? <laughs> oh, it's so we put this house on the market Wednesday morning. I think we had we had something like 10 showings scheduled in the I swear in the first half an hour. Like literally this thing hit. And it was like, boom, my, my phone was blowing up because you know, people are telling you that they've scheduled an appointment. Are they are they showing up at the house? Or are they doing virtual? What are they? Some doing? virtual, yeah. There, there were some agents over there that were walking. Oh, we were we we just left. We're experienced home sellers, so we know to get the hell out. You know, let the people have their <laughs> have their way with the house. Um, yeah, no, but but oh, this was funny. She'll probably kill me for this. So, anyways, this lot, we had thirty showings in two days. Three Not zero. Two days. Thirty. Thirty. Wow. Thirty. So Wednesday night, we get back, we, we come back around 8, 8, 39 o'clock at night. And I hear, I am Jean, and she's, she's on the on her phone. And uh, I hear people talking and this, I go, what is that? She goes, oh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's the people who came to see the house. I'm like, what do you mean? Oh, well, we have ring, you know, the, the, the security. You can, I go, you, you listen to, like, you basically have all the people's conversations as they're going around looking at the house. Wow. <laughs> now, of course, I'm thinking, well, that means that I'm sure that, um, that a big brother can hear me all day long. I didn't, even know we had, I didn't even know we had this capability. So, yeah, she's listening to them, like, talking about the house. And luckily, they were saying good things. But uh, <laughs> we took this by 5 o'clock, well, by late, late Wednesday night, our realtor called up and said, look, you already got three offers. How about I say we have multiple offers now and basically tell everybody, look, you have to get your best offer in by, by five o'clock Thursday. All right, go ahead. We had even more people on Thursday and we ended up at five o'clock in the afternoon with 11 offers, all of them through my asking price, um, which I think we should teach. We put it right at the right level to get people really excited about it. And like six of them, five of them, five of them are all cash, which, you know, kind of, kind of worry is this area. There's a, 
I don't think the not, not the senior management of the cartel lives lives in my neighborhood, but I think there's a few middle <laughs> middle management people living here. Uh, uh, but yeah, so anyway, we 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 uh, we agreed upon. You know, we we had. I'll give you a, to tell you how bad it is, or how good it is if you're selling. We get home and we have these. We don't know. We don't know the names of the people. We have two offers that are just straight through. Like I never would have imagined we would have gotten paid this much. And I see at the front door in the foyer, there's a, there's a little balloon, a smiley balloon, and a card and a box. And the car opened the card, and it's, the, it's these people who came to the house, and they said, we really love your house. And, you know, yeah, they, I've, and I've been watching Ozark again, so I was thinking, maybe you know, this could be bad. Like, there could be something in this box. It was a <laughs> box of these fabulous cookies. So, <laughs> So when our realtor called, he goes, by the way, are any of these two, these people? And he goes, yeah. I'm like, oh, shit. So the guy, so their offer was about all in net. It was $3,800 below the other guy. I mean, right there. Two of them was unbelievable. Awesome, awesome offers. And I almost gave the guy the, I almost gave that guy the, the house because of the cookies. It's a nice touch. I mean, we, so, we sold our house uh, about, coming on about two years ago now. And uh, we we got a, a very touching letter that, uh, you know, it helped that it was also a cash offer and they waived inspection, but the letter didn't hurt. Yeah. Well, I almost said, <laughs> yeah, I almost did this, but, but so the story, yeah, besides bragging that we did create on my house and, and we're not buying anything. So we're, we're going to rent. So it's like, you know, I'm not going to buy anything now because uh, if I had to buy, buying a house right now is just brutal. I can't and even I, imagine. I honestly would yeah. not pay what these people paid for this. And, don't air this until the house closes so they can hear. <laughs> but um, I, I'm just like the, the valuation does not support is not supported by anything other than. But one of the things Richie's talked about is new homes. You know, we've we've really had a slowdown in, in new in in new home building just because or oh, the price of the new home has gone up so much because of the, the lumber and all the other products that need to go into building the house. Everything's backed up. So. And again, well, once again, we're creating a we're, crea- we're probably creating a housing bubble here. However, it's a housing bubble probably in better hands, where it's not like in people you know who own three houses and can't afford one. Um, it's it's probably real real buyers with real like everybody that came from my house had real real money yesterday. It's more of like a, the wealth gap, right? So like people with real money are able to yeah. like really actually buy houses. It's not the case where they're just giving anyone a mortgage, right? Yeah, yeah, no, it, you're absolutely right. It's not ha- it's not going to happen. So, like every big crisis in the markets, and you know, or any kind of recession, always is a little different, little different. This one that's coming, and it's coming, will not be due to the housing market. Whereas the last one in oh nine, oh seven, oh eight, oh nine was. So, like, that happened because, like Eric said, they lent money to people who couldn't afford the homes. And once they didn't have any income coming in, they just flaked on all these homes, as did everybody else in their game. That's not going to happen this time within the housing market because the people that are getting the money for loans are pretty well established and good credit scores and all that, but it'll come from something. It just won't, it won't be the housing. I don't. Yeah. Think. I mean, if you remember when we got, we started doing this, maybe, maybe a little before, I mean, commercial real estate was like, I mean, beyond in the shitter commercial real estate was like, I mean, just the, this, this gigantic asset class, you know, hundreds of billion, trillion, a trillion, two trillion, an asset class that was just going to, it had a blow up. People who were not uh, people were either failing on their rent, um, or people were not going to. They, they were they were changing their entire habits of how they work, where they're going to work, and this in, in real estate, commercial real estate is a lot, a lot of leverage in it, and is a lot, and a lot of that has been blown up from what's been going on with the uh, with with the Fed and with monetary policy and all these things for the last you know decade. We've just blown up all the bubbles. Well, this is this is one of the bubbles that was supposed to pop. You don't even hear about it anymore. And I think it's I think it's still just as bad, but no one really talks about it anymore, which is you know kind of kind of interesting. But yeah, I, I think that there's a lot of bubbles in the system, uh, no doubt about it. I don't think it's necessarily housing so much, or if it is, it's not like people can't 
people are going to lose their home and then it hits the market and they got to sell it 40% lower. Maybe there'll be a drop in where they bought it. But I think when you, when it comes to, you know, commercial real estate, when it comes to a lot of, um, you know, loans, industrial loans, loans to companies, high yield loans and high yield bonds that are made to a lot of companies that, you know, they call them zombie companies. Some of them don't, they don't even make like, you could say, well, after, after taxes, they don't make it. They don't make anything. Like they don't have enough earnings before interest and div- depreciation and amortization. They're called EBITDA. But at least in the old days, at least like junk companies had positive earnings before all those things. And then after if taxes, they would lose money. This is like they don't. This is the first time that there's a big bulk of them that are not even making enough money that when they get to the, to service the debt, they can't even service the, the only way they can service the debt is to is to refinance. And that's that they call them zombie companies. There's hundreds and hundreds of them in this country, thousands. And you know, as soon as this this game ends, I mean, I don't know what these guys are going to do. Well, I think we found out where the bubble is going to come from. It's going to be zombies. It's going to be the Walking zombies. Dead out here. It's going to be the the zombie apocalypse. A lot of zombie companies walking around, and we're going to have to shoot a few in the head. That's just the way it goes. All right, a lot of turmoil, a lot of uncertainty. We don't know what's going to happen. I'm assuming, Richie, for this week's picks, you're going to be shorting something. Um, I am. I am. Uh, I'm going to short the, uh, it's called the uh, QQQ by, on steroids. So the ticker is actually SQQQ. I believe it's double the uh, return or not return of the NASDAQ 100. The QQQ would be the NASDAQ 100 biggest companies in the NASDAQ. Uh, The SQQQ, three Qs, uh, is double that. So that's dangerous. Is it three times? Three times. Oh, geez, Louise. (laughs) Now I'm... Really on steroids. So this is a quick bet. Next week, we'll probably take this off, but it's a big bet against tech. Uh, SQQQ, we're going to buy, we're going to short it or buy puts on it. Just because we're just not gung-ho about the valuations of these tech companies. I really never have been, but right now it's kind of like, okay, where are we going from here? And, uh, most of these companies don't make a lot of money. Even the ones you know, Amazon, they don't make a lot of money. They, they, they make a lot of revenue. They don't make a lot of earnings per share, which I like to look at, right? The price to earnings ratio of Amazon is ridiculous. And, it's, and it has been. And people keep saying, well, yeah, Richie, you're, you're old. You're like, you're has been. You're, you, you don't know what you're looking at. And it's like, dude, okay, but how come Walmart is kicking their ass now? Walmart is kicking Amazon's ass now. Best Buy is kicking Amazon's ass now. Not in all the products they do, but I can promise you this. If Walmart or Best Buy go out of business, it ain't going to be because Amazon put them out of business. It'll be something else. So within their sector – the Best Buy Electronics, the Walmart, you know, big box, whatever you want to call them, they've figured out how to fight the threat of Amazon. While they've figured it out, right, their company still makes a lot more money per share. Those companies make a lot more money per share than Amazon ever did and maybe Amazon ever will. So it's kind of like, okay, yeah, yeah, I hit the button. I have Amazon. I hit the button. Amazon is everywhere, this and that. But their expenses to deliver that package, that dopey, you know, $8 package I order on a Sunday that gets there, does that does that make them money? I, I don't think so. Mm. I don't think so. They got to pay that driver something. They got to ship that product. The SQQQ bet is mm-hmm. just a big, like, valuation, things are too expensive call by me. It's not picking on one company particularly. 
I got you. So SQQQ, I look it up on Ameritrade here, and right away there's a there's a banner up top yeah. saying uh, leveraged inverse and commodity ETPs is not suitable for most investors. Investing in these types of exchange-traded products involves heightened risks, including mm-hmm. higher margin requirements, leverage, derivatives, and complex investment strategies. These securities yeah. are designed for daily use only, Ooh. and they're generally not intended to be held overnight or long-term. Mm. Yeah. And that's why I said this is going to be a quick one, but I want to make this this bet because I think it's so out of line. So the risk is when you go against the SQQQ and things go well over the next couple of days, if they do, you're out. You're going to lose a lot. If things don't go so well and you're making that play, they do go fine for you. But it's not a long-term play. I just, I just think it's time somebody just kind of puts the hammer down and says, this is crazy. I'm willing to play this very short term, very short term. And I'm glad, I'm glad that that announcement came up when you hit that error. That actually makes me happy. And it doesn't sound like there's a lot to be happy at besides my house and the show today, by the way. I feel like, you know. <laughs> I feel like we're we're, not, we're all we're all down in the dumps, and it's Friday afternoon. We're also recording at a different time. It's just a different vibe, you know. We're all yeah. out of sorts here. But where is that? Uh, what's your broker, Aaron? Uh, TD Ameritrade. Okay, yeah, I'm glad they have that on there because there was there was a time, and it wasn't too long ago that 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 wasn't on there. Like they didn't tell you anything, and and that's why people would if you didn't if you don't and you have to really you do have to understand leverage and you do have to understand how derivatives work to to really know what you're doing in those things. Well, that kind and, of warning, that's a reaction to the Robin Hood type of stuff, right? I mean, they're kind of before that. Yeah. Know, because what was happening was when these products got popular, let's say 10 years ago it's called. Let's say QQQ. If you did two times leverage, that means okay, it's a that's a really bullish view on the Nasdaq because you're you're basically going to get two times whatever that the Nasdaq does if it goes up, you're going to get two times that. And then you could, like Richie's talking about SQQQ, if you go, if you go, you're going, you're betting on it going down and you're betting three times. So that means there's a lot of, a lot of leverage has to go in and derivative products have to go into that to create that type of structure. Now, what people were finding when they'd go into those products was, let's say they held on to it for two weeks, right? Because you put it on, you go, well, I, I think the NASDAQ's going up, so I'm going to buy the, the two-time levered one, the bullish one. And then it goes down one day, it goes down sharply, let's say the first day. But then it comes back to where it started, right? Let's say the next day it rebounds. And then it goes down again. And then it rebounds, it comes down. And let's say at the end of that two-week period, let's say that the total thing is that, hey, when I put this on, the NASDAQ was here, now it's here plus 1%. It's because it's got 1% in two weeks. Why aren't I up 2% on my fabulous uh, two-time levered QQQ? And it's complicated. It has to do with they have to rebalance that portfolio every day. And so when you buy something like that, you're actually – if you the only way you're going to win, really win, is what Richie's saying. If it, if, you, if it blows, if it goes skyrockets the first or second day, or if it goes one, two – if it goes to the moon and goes three, four consecutive days of up, you're going to make your money. You may, you may make more than double your money. But you have to understand that if there's, a, if there's a volatile path, once that thing goes down, you're going to be fighting the whole way to get it back up again. Because you're going to lose two times of, of one number, and now you have to make it more than two times to come back and get yourself to even. That's the derivative part about it, and that's the, it's called rebalancing. If you don't know that, then don't do it. Um, or, if you, or now that we're telling you, if you've got a view, it better be today or it better be tomorrow and if you, you just if you if it goes down sharply in your face, you just get out. Don't sit there in that thing. So that's a that's another thing. Then that's that's tough for people to take losses like that. But when you get into that kind of game, you got to know that this this is a quick decision. That's either gonna you're either gonna do it and you're gonna make money, or it's not happening and just cut it. Sound advice right there. That's a pretty good transition into what I wanted to get into as far as the meat and potatoes of this episode, which is something that is less volatile and more stable, which is stocks that offer dividends, right? So let's start with the very basics and treat this as a teachable moment for myself and for anybody in the audience. School me on what is a dividend? 
Well, so a dividend is a basically a thank you by a company for holding their stock, meaning we don't have to do this. We're not obligated to do it, but we want to give you a little bonus for holding our stock. Here's some cash every quarter for every amount of shares you hold. Please keep holding this stock. We'll keep trying to give you that bonus every quarter. So it's, it's, it's like I said, it's not obligated. Nobody has to do it. Many don't. Many companies do not give dividends. But it's kind of a way of rewarding you as an investor, a little carrot for you to continue to invest in our company. And it's not always quarterly, right? No. It can be no, annually. It can be, you know, semi-annual. It could be longer. So let's give you an example. So right now, banks pay usually pay pretty good pretty good dividends, right? So right now, if you bought J.P. Morgan, JPM. So if you bought that, it's about 151 bucks a share right now. Every quarter, they're paying right now a 90. You're getting 90 cents per share. So what that does is that works out. And you look at a dividend yield. They call it the dividend yield. Really, that's the annualized dividend. So if they're paying 90 cents a quarter, that's um, 30. That's the three dollars and sixty cents for a year. You divide the 360 by that price of 151, the share price, and that gives you your yield, your dividend yield. So right now, a JP Morgan gives you, it's a 2.38% annualized yield. On your, so you're getting that plus the appreciation of the stock. Generally, what you'll get is you will get companies that are mature, established companies that we call almost, they don't call them growth stocks anymore. They're, they, they're dividend payers. What do you call them, Richie? If you're not a growth stock, you're a... Value? Value. Yeah. Shit like that. Now think about if you want to look relative value and you think about dividends. So you remember our discussion last week about uh, with Kevin about about coin about the bit uh, Coinbase and you remember we were talking about wow like you know these guys are valued at ninety billion dollars and ICE the Intercontinental Exchange the big they own all those. Not only are they worth more than ICE, you remember ICE was worth like sixty five billion at the time, but ICE pays a dividend. So if you own that stock. A, you're, you're really betting on a lot with Coinbase, but also you got to take into account that you're buying a stock of an um, established company that pays a dividend. They don't have as good a yield as J.P. Morgan does, but they have about a they have about a one and a half percent yield, so it's pretty good. Certainly, when you're comparing it to a stock that doesn't pay anything, but yeah, I mean that, that that's definitely something to look to look at, and um, especially when the when interest rates are when interest rates are very low. Again, you're looking for yield. Remember Richie the uh, the high fifty? It was like the they were, they were these unit investment trusts, which is you know it's 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 another one of these forty act. It's not, it's it's like a like a mutual fund, and essentially they buy they they own all of the the highest dividend yielding stocks in the S and P. So they call it the high fifty, and that was an extremely pro, becomes an extremely um, attractive product for people, especially when rates and yields are so low like this. So. Dividends really attract people. And again, it attracts generally people who have, you know, large portfolios. It is actually something that you can, you know, that's part of your, if you will, I just we're talking about capital gains and investment income. Well, this is part of investment income uh, are dividend yields. So if you own a lot of stocks, people live off the dividend. Yeah. And it's interesting. I was actually listening to another financial podcast and this guy was talking about his strategy around dividends and he broke it down in a, in a pretty basic and simple manner. We said um, something like, um, let's just say, I forget what, exactly what it was, but Verizon, right? The, the phone company. So I have Verizon as my phone company. So he's like, I look at it like I use it. So why not invest in that company? You know, whatever the dividend is. So he's like, I, I do the math. However many shares I need to buy to get the dividend that will cover my monthly bill, right? So I was like, oh, that's interesting. And I did the math and I was like, well, you got to invest like $30,000 into that stock to get the dividend to pay for that bill. But like, yeah, like you said, if you have large pockets, you can actually do that. And I, I'm like, all right, well, take the AGNC, for example. I bought a few shares off of your advice. It's up 6%. Just got a dividend a few weeks ago or maybe last week, maybe it was last week. And was like, all right, it's like, you know, you look at it as kind of like free money. 
even if the stock goes down, you're still getting a little bit of money to do whatever you want with at the end of the <laughs> month or at the end of the quarter. That's a key point. We'll get into in a second. Go ahead. That was pretty much it if you wanted to, to expound on that. Well, it's just if you feel comfortable that the company is going to continue to pay that dividend or more, right, you, as the price of the stock drops, if it drops, like Eric was saying about dividend yield, you 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 base the dividend amount on the price of the stock. So if the price of the stock is di- dropping and they keep that dividend price the same, the amount they're paying or better, your yield on your dividend is now going up. So mm-hmm. if you believe in the company, right, let me go back to like a quick aside. Don't buy, do not buy stocks because they have high crazy dividends because like we just talked about to start, it's a gift. The company doesn't have to pay it. They can pull it at any time. In 2007 and 2008 and 2009, and even last year during the COVID, many, many, many companies said, we don't know if we can survive. First thing we're going to do is pull our dividend. We're done. So if you invest in a company solely because you believe in their dividend, you're taking a big risk. But, but there's also this angle, and they're dropping, and then it's few and far between now. But there is this group called Dividend Aristocrats. And people have funds tied around these Dividend Aristocrats. And what they are is companies that have actually not only paid dividends for 25 years, but they've raised them or at least not dropped them in the last 25 years. So that's a good thing to go on where you're like, I don't know if this company is going to continue to pay the dividends, but if you go to the aristocrats, you might be like, hey, these guys are going to continue to pay. This is great. The flip side of that is, they're usually pretty expensive. What exactly are the aristocrats? Dividend payers, companies that have paid for at least 25 years and have not dropped the rate at which they pay. So so they're not only paying you dividends, they keep paying at least the same amount and maybe growing them. Got it. Okay. And there's very yeah. few of them left. Now, you mentioned AGNC, and that, so AGNC is what's called a REIT. Real Estate Investment Trust. Now, a real estate investment trust um, has to pay out 90% of their taxable income. They have to pay it out as a dividend and that they get special treatment to do that. You can certainly get burned in a REIT, definitely burned, especially a com- commercial real estate REITs, the stuff we just talked about. That's what they do. They own property and that's their structure. They borrow relatively short term. They put the money into property. As long as the properties don't crash and as long as that they what they earn on those properties is it beats their funding rate, they can do very well. The attractiveness is that they pay a high dividend because, again, they have to pay 90 percent of their taxable income as a dividend. And that's why we liked um, we were talking about AGNC. We we're talking about Annaly and Ally. They own mortgage backed securities. They don't own real estate per se, they own Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, and they can own non-Freddie, Fannie, Ginny stuff. um, We call those conventionals, and then they can own non-agency stuff. But they own securities, and they pay a really nice dividend. Like the the one, I think Annalee is about a 10% yield, and um, and, and AG&C is about an eight and a quarter percent yield. So those are areas that people look to. If they're they're really hunting out dividends, they they go for that. But just remember that if... You, you are buying that a lot for the dividend. That's really what you're buying it for. So if that dividend has to get cut because they're taking on serious losses, let's say it's a real estate portfolio, or let's say, you know, even the, even the, the mortgage rates like AGNC and Annaly and OI, they've had some really rough times in the, in the past couple, you know, call it 20 years. And when they get hit, they can't sustain that dividend payment. They got to they lower the dividend. When they cut that dividend, stocks get, get smashed. That's like the double whammy. So, right. like, you bought the company because you thought the dividend was secure. Now, they cut that dividend. Guess what? Not only is the dividend gone that you were counting on, your stock price is in the shitter. 
Like it immediately goes down because many, many people were buying that stock because, because of, the of the dividend. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, it's definitely at least a check in the pro column when you're considering whether or not to invest in a, in a company long term that they do offer a dividend. It's a sign that they feel pretty positive about their future, right? So it can't, yeah. it doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to continue forever, but that's no. a, at least in the plus column for sure. Yeah. And another point is, yeah. it, I haven't seen the last year results, but if you go back to like the beginning of markets, like whenever you want to pick the S&P 500 starting, this is a long time ago, right? 100 plus years ago. What's Marcus? The markets. So oh the S&P 500, <laughs> like our history of that market, right? You have... Pick a number, you know, the returns when the S&P started at one or a hundred, and now it's at 4,100, right? So that's ridiculous amounts of returns, right? Like ridiculous. It's up at least 41 times since the beginning of the market started, right? Half, half of those returns have been due to dividends. So it's not the stock price that drives the whole thing. Half of it is due to dividends. So if you sit there and you buy the stock and you you buy stocks only that don't have dividends in the S&P 500, you're getting shortchanged a bit. Mm-hmm. Like you need to have some companies, if you want the total return of the S&P 500, you need to have some companies that pay pretty good dividends. You don't have to be a big player in it because, I mean, like even right, I mean, it's nice. You, you you forget about it. You pull up your brokerage, you know, you, you, you go online, you pull it up, you're ready to go for the day, and all of a sudden, hey, where'd this 1200 bucks come from? Oh, yeah. Here's, a, here's another trick that you can try, Aaron, with your uh, investing in a nicely paying dividend stock. Mm-hmm. So did that thing come as cash into your account? Or did you get a check or something? Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it was cash into the account. All right, you can check a box in your brokerage statement on your brokerage online, mm-hmm. and you can check that box that says reinvest dividends. Okay. All right. So what happens there is you don't get the cash. Where's it going? They'll automatically buy more of the stock that you own. And it might be a fraction, right? It might be if you have five shares and the dividend is whatever, you know, 5%, they'll give you, in the old days, they never used to do this. But now in your next statement, you might not show $100 of a dividend or $50 of a dividend or $10 of a dividend. You'll show like a fractional amount more of the same stock. So now you don't have five shares of that stock, but you have 5.1 shares of the stock because a dividend happened. And I actually did this at the beginning of the year for my daughter with 2000 bucks, two grand. And I just saw this article and the guy said, this is what I'm going to do for 2021. And I thought it was cool. And it was high paying dividend stocks and I said, all right, I'm going to mimic this guy's portfolio. And he did it with a $2,000 idea. And now that it's been three months and all these stocks that are in there are are dividend-paying stocks, all of them have like the little fractional amount. So if I bought like two shares of this one, four shares, it's all like now 4.12, 2.13, and. Mind you, that portfolio has, it's probably beaten the market a little bit. I plan on keeping that thing forever. Just leave it alone and just see what happens. Yeah, like just close watch what happens to the amount of shares. And then maybe when it gets like many years, then you start taking money out every quarter, every month or whatever the dividends are. But they're a very powerful tool. And they're a gift, you know. They're they're really they really are a gift. Didn't you used to do the McDonald's the the drip? And those are great, yeah. The drip. Yeah. 
dividend reinvestment programs. So you you don't even have to. Well, the, the brokerages have made it easier. Now you can just do it with the TD Ameritrade or whatever. Yeah. But it used to be that unless you paid some big amount of a brokerage fee, you couldn't do it with a lot of companies. So a lot of these companies set up their own policy where you could buy the stock directly from them. You still can, but because the brokerage companies charge no real brokerage anymore, those programs are, you know, not as effective as they were. But like you could, you could, like I used to buy McDonald's shares just like every month and like reinvest the dividends and just watch it grow. That's certainly an interesting uh, strategy to grow your 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 market share, I guess, your, the amount of stocks that you have. Correct. Especially if you think about it as not real money, the, the dividends, right? So you're just like, all right, well, even if the, the price goes down a little bit, you still have more shares. You're going to get more. You're going to get even more shares now because if they keep the dividend the same and the doc, stock price drops, that's a bigger number, you'll get more shares. And right. now you just, again, just sit there, let it go on autopilot one day open it up and like, whoa, this is a lot of money. Now, it's not the same excitement as the GameStop <laughs> no, daily no, moves. Not at all. But it's hard for that shit to go down. I can tell you that. Like, it, it, it's not going to go away yeah, if you're with it, a real legitimate company that continues to pay dividends. You should be thinking in terms of a portfolio and not just about you've got your trading positions, you've got your, your high-risk position. That's fine. But then a portion of it you really should put towards kind of these these types of these, these types of investments. I'm actually looking. I, I didn't realize how good those earnings were. So maybe next week we'll have a nice recommendation on uh, AT and T. Uh, <laughs> Yo, no, no, no bullshit. That that's what no, I was actually thinking about. I, I yeah. bought I, I bought them um, like two and a, maybe three months ago, and I hate to say it, but I did look at the dividend yield. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's it. Like that dividend is crazy. And yeah. so a lot of people, that stock had been doing shit for a long time. And now they have this HBO Max and all that other stuff. And people were concerned that they were going to cut the dividend. And I was still kind of like, all right, even if they do, you know, they're not going to cut it to zero. They're going to cut it and it won't be as good a yield, but it'll still be something. The stock will drop if that happens. Right. Initially, because people are like, oh, I bought it for the yield. This company sucks. And then I was thinking about going in there. But with this earnings report the other day and it bumped, they might be like, hey, F you like, well, we'll pay this dividend as long as we want. And now if that's true, now you have this fat dividend with a stock that might continue to go up. That's gold. Like that's Mm -hmm. jump in. But I'm going to study it a little more. The dangerous thing, though, is just thinking about now, not in terms of you investing, but what we see out there is a lot of companies and a lot of you know big, solid companies, a lot of banks, they they issue debt. And part of the way they issue the debt is so they can keep paying the dividend. Yeah. Um, like Exxon, like those guys, they, they borrow to pay the dividend and to buy back their own shares, both of which are supportive of the stock price. But yeah. it's... It's crazy because you're basically it's you're creating leverage. You're leveraging up your company more to make that to make that payment, and it's a dangerous game to play. But that's what a lot of junk bonds and things like that they're doing. That that's what the you know that's what the private equity guys do, right? They they issue debt so they can pay themselves once they've taken a company over. They issue debt on that company's dime, and that's how they pay themselves special dividends and all kinds of great great stuff. So dividends could be. I think you want to look at it. you don't I just don't like seeing a company borrowing money to pay a dividend. That just seems to me like it's it's a recipe for trouble. Yeah, like Exxon, Eric mentioned like Exxon Mobil, the big, you know, gas company, oil company. That company's become so much around dividends. Like every story that seems to happen talks about their dividend. Why? Because the yield on their dividend is huge now because their stock price got destroyed over the last couple of years when oil went down. It's going up a bit now that oil and gas have gone up. But they are the prime example of what Eric said. Like they're borrowing money to pay that dividend. So they, they obviously think it's so important keep that dividend and those stockholders who love that dividend in the game that they will borrow money not to build new oil wells not to like you know figure out new alternative energy things just to pay that dividend and that can get real dangerous that's where i get so messed up where it's like what how is it more important to 
artificially prop up your stock price than to actually pay attention to the bottom line. Depends on how you get judged. And if we live in a world where immediate corporate profits and immediate stock price uh, appreciation has to happen, this is how management behaves. They behave in a manner that keeps them in their jobs, that keeps the stock, which they own a lot, and, and very large investors and people on the board own a lot. And that's how the market rewards you. It doesn't reward you on, you know what, five years down the road, we're doing all this investment and five years down the road, this is going to really blow up and take a blow up in a good way. It just doesn't get rewarded. And that's why you see a lot of the things that, uh, that you see. You could say it's a sound strategy right now. The rate's so low and, and, and corporate, I mean, corporate bonds are just, you know, investment grade corporate bonds is just, they've never, I don't think they've ever been this low as far as yield. So, if you're a CFO, that's got to be in your toolkit, right? You're going you're gonna to borrow at these very low yields, and part of that could go to be paying a dividend. You know? But just remember, you're, you're, increasing, you're increasing the amount of your debt. And if all of a sudden things, things go into the crapper, then you, know, you, have, you have less margin because you have, all, you have a lot more interest, interest expense, and, and you're leveraged up a lot more. So that, it's kind of playing a dangerous game. Yeah, these guys will not make it. If the markets continue to be honest, you know, let's and efficient somewhat, Exxon, unless things happen where either oil prices go higher, interest rates stay low at the same time, they're making this big bet basically just to borrow to pay the dividend, right? So they're borrowing right now to pay out quarterly payments right now. And if what they're saying is things will get better. Like it's, it's been so shitty for us in the last three to five years that it's going to get better. And as long as we keep these people that hold this, our stock in the stable and our stock price doesn't go down so much more, we'll make it, we'll make it. And we won't have to borrow again in two or three years to pay the dividend. That's the bet they're making. And if they don't make it, that like, dividend's you know, going bye-bye too, yeah. Yeah. I want to ask a couple technical questions before we wrap it up. First, when I look at, you know, I'm looking at AT&T right now, there's a little uh, section here that says X-dividend date. And that is, uh, what that means is you have to hold the shares by that date in order to get paid. Is that right? That's right. To get paid the dividend, you have to own the shares that that day. All right. It says April 8th here, right? So that has already passed, but, and the pay date is May 3rd, which is right. not here yet. So this is not that important. This is just my curiosity. If I hold stocks in AT&T through April 8th and sometime between April 8th and May 3rd, I'd sell those stocks. Do I still get the dividend May 3rd, even though I sold those stocks? Yep. You, you do. Now, just remember, we, and the parlance is pregnant. <laughs> if you hold, a, if you hold AT&T, let's say on, on, on May, I'm sorry, April 7th, because the X date is April 8th, that stock, that the value of that stock is pregnant with the fact that there's a, there's a 51, 52 cents a share dividend coming tomorrow. So the guy who buys that stock from you, is not just buying at and He's basically buying that fifty-two cent dividend per share dividend. Right. And what you would see, so yeah, you don't get. There's no way to to arb this and that get it and not like if you do that simultaneously. If you sell it past the X date, it's going to be less that dividend. And that's what you'll see, and especially with large, when you get to you know high paying, really high paying dividend like the REITs. You see the stock price go down like as they yeah. get to the X date, just because that that dividend is the dividend is now it's been it's paid. Gone. You're, yeah. not, you're not getting that if you're the owner of record the day after the X date. You're not getting that dividend. And conversely, you'll see some action right before the the X dividend date, right? Yeah, so people try to play that game. Like yeah. They call it buy the dividend, but you know it's 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 not really the reason why you would play it. It's not that effective. It's it gets reflected like Eric said in the stock like you know if, if nothing let's put it this way if you have a stock that's at twenty bucks and it's going to pay a dividend of fifty cents and everything just say we have an unchanged market that day that stock's going to open up at nineteen dollars and fifty cents the next day it's going to just be lower it just 
It, it just is because there's no free lunch. You can't steal. But it will likely go up throughout the day. It could. It could. could. But like that people would, are like, okay, I'm excited. The dividend's coming again. This is money. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe, maybe it's going to be 52 cents. If they paid 50 cents this, this quarter, maybe it'll be 52 next time. <laughs> now, there's a, there's a day in there, too. It's the declaration day, right? So that's the uh, weeks before they'll announce for sure right. we're going yeah, to pay a 52-cent dividend again, per share dividend again, and we're going to pay it on April. X date is April 8th. It gets paid out May 3rd or so you'll know way ahead of time whether that whether that company's cutting the dividend or keeping it or raising it. Right. Personally, I think it's it's a wonderful, wonderful strategy. Like I'm an old school guy, but like like it dude, to be able to just like buy something, you like it, and then it just rewards you every quarter or whatever they're they're like a lot of these REITs that uh, Eric likes to look at. They're monthly, right? Eh? They they mm-hmm. like monthly payment. Yeah, they, so they pay every month. Like you're like, okay, I don't even have to wait for these guys to fuck up. Like I, <laughs> I I'll get this thing every month, and I like what they're doing, and and it, and it's just wonderful. Like the stories of like old people just collecting a check once they, you know, I talked about reinvestment of the dividends. That's when you're younger. But older people are like, I don't need to reinvest. I want the cash. Right. Like just back in the old days, just like we talked about in the past, like mailbox money, like just showing up at their mailbox and just getting a check for nothing. Like, like, oh, yeah, the stock market went like this today. It went, it, last month it went like this. It was like crazy. And every month, oh, there, there's my check from Corporation XYZ. There's my check from ABC. This is a nice thing, yeah. All I did was I hit a – well, they didn't even hit a button back in the day, right? They called their broker and said, buy me 50 shares of this. Yep, and that was that. And now, like, they're getting paid every month from that, you know, initial investment and other investments. There's nothing like it. That's what kind of sparked my interest in this because I, I read an article in that lane where the guy, I think it was in, on Barron's, uh, they were talking to some guy who happened to be an astronaut, I think. And uh, <laughs> and he, he wants to set himself up budget-wise to the point where he never has to sell any of the stock that collects dividends so that when he does retire, he can basically just use that money. I said, oh, that's interesting and that's very long-term thinking. You know, so mm-hmm. yeah. Now, I mean, you could. It's interesting because if you if you're at home and you're and you're trading and you do, you know, I think you have to really sit down and think. You're not on a Wall Street trading desk. You don't have a you don't have somebody leaning on you saying, "Hey, you got this much capital. You better you know you need a, you need a return. And I need it. I, I need that return next month, next quarter. You know, but it's got to be now. You got to be generating revenue. When you're at home, yes, there should be. There, I don't. I still don't like day trading. Um, but you could certainly buy, whether it's if you're ready for options strategies, use options. But there's always time to buy a company for a short-term play in and out and you make some money. But you got to have – if you're really doing this because in the long term you want to end up ahead, then think what Richie said. Think about where you want to be. Where do you want this thing to be in three years, five years? And all this buy and sell and buy and sell, you know what, at the end of the day – you end up churning up, well, I guess you don't pay fees on Robinhood, but you, you end up churning up fees and you end up, you know, you could end up flat at the end of three years with nothing for all that expenditure when part of your portfolio could be in value stocks and, and things like that, that pay dividends. They're paying, they're paying the high dividends, relatively high dividends. You're getting yield. You're getting some cushion. Because like Richie said, if you look at from the time back when the S&P was, what do you say, one to now, half the returns are from dividends. And it definitely seems more healthy. I mean, I took a, a couple of days since we started doing this uh, show, and I was like, "Oh, swing trader, I guess. Let me let me let me get in here, <laughs> you know." And it was fun, but like I recognize in myself that it's like an addiction. It's an addictive kind of thing where you're you're just in and out and constantly paying attention, and it's like that could take over your whole day, your whole week, you know. And it's Absolutely. like I don't, I don't have time for this. It's cool when you're winning, but when you're losing, that shit sucks. And I'm like, okay, this this ain't for me. I got to do something that's more stable and long term, you know. So you want like autopilot? It, it's wonderful to have the autopilot, unless you have like a completely sure thing, like like uh, Bert Sugar. The uh, he was the famous. Uh, Boxing analyst. He used to wear the big hat. 
back in the seventies. And he, he would talk about, you know, covering boxers or whatever. And he said, um, Oh, I've had a lot of investments in my time, stocks, bonds, real estate. The best investment I ever made was Larry Holmes <laughs> because Larry Holmes went like 39 and zero, and like lost to Mike Tyson when Tyson was 20 and Holmes was like 40. Mm-hmm. Right. Like just, so if you can get those Larry Holmes into the portfolio, yeah, it's going to be good. Like the constant winning, 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 winning. And it doesn't have to be crazy. And that, and that's what his point was too. It wasn't like he was investing like, a fortune every time Larry Holmes fought. He was just like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to win today, so let me take some money. And- yeah. It's just like, look, it's just like sports. Really, it's like sports gambling. You want to do it to have fun because 99% of the time, you, you're not, you don't know more than the market out there, whether it's stocks or whether it's betting on, on basketball. Right? It's say, it, you want to do it to have fun. So that means, hey, you know what? It's okay to take a portion of your money and play. It's an exciting, fun game. You'll learn. You hopefully you'll make some money. But if you lose it, you're not hey, you're not sitting there all day watching it, and you certainly aren't feeling that horrible when you lose. It should be just like putting fifty bucks on a game, and if you lose, eh, it was it kept, it kept my interest, and I watched the game at a good time. And if you win, great. You know when you start like just think about the sports game. When you start getting, I, I gotta win. Like once you got once you got to that stage, I gotta win. You're you're, you're already screwed. You've you've already lost. Right. There's always going to be a hot shot GameStop boxer that's coming for Larry Holmes's throne, but Larry Holmes is going to win 39 times before Mike Tyson comes. That's it. That's it. That was good too. I think I got it. I think I get you got it. Got that now. one like quick. Yeah, yeah. I got it now, guys. You used GameStop. You used everything. See that? It all comes back around, and we wrap it in a tight bow, and we say goodbye, and we'll see you next <laughs> week on the Monkey Business Show. <laughs>